Greece downgrades the Bahamas again. When will it end? Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the CFILE Talks podcast. On today's show, the team, which include myself, Pamela Ferguson, Vice President of Investments, Michelle White, Investments Manager, and Angelo Butler, Senior Analyst here at CFILE, will discuss the recent September 17, 2021, downgrade of the Bahamas sovereign debt by Moody's. Why should we even be concerned about what Moody's has to say about the Bahamas sovereign credit rate? What are the key takeaways or drivers of Moody's rating on the Bahamas' sovereign debt report? Well, Moody's downgraded um, the Bahamas rating further into junk territory. So we went from BA2 to BA3, and they gave us a negative outlook, which basically means that they don't see um, the rating improving anytime in the near future. Um, so basically what this means for the Bahamas is that when we go out and try to borrow funds, we will be, our debt would be seen as more riskier, and it would mean that we have to pay um, pay more interests on our debt. Um, and investors would, as investors would expect us to compensate them for the risk. Um, it'll be more expensive for the Bahamas to borrow, and I believe that our interest burden is already, I think, at about 500 million for this fiscal year. So um, this is a big deal for us. Um, the, Baham- the Bahamian economy has been terribly affected by the pandemic. Um, we have not gotten as much tourists as we were pre-pandemic, which means that we are getting less U.S. dollars, which we need for um, imports, etc. And this means that we will have to borrow um, from the international market. So when you downgrade our debt, our debt becomes more riskier and that becomes more difficult for us to borrow at lower rates. And in just layman terms, I think Moody's um, summarized that, you know, the financial strength of the country is kind of eroded. Um, You know, the ability for us to get the house in order has been delayed by several years as the economy um, tries to recover. And in, in ranking countries on these rating scales, you know, they have certain parameters and benchmarks and you know, for example, our debt, they say debt to GDP, the ratio has gotten higher than the rest of countries that would fit into this category. And so it's simply, you know, a ranking scale as as your numbers change, whether they go up or down, you tend to move up and down between the ratings. So in summary, it's just that, you know, the country's wallet has taken a bit of a hit. Um, It'll take a bit longer for the country to get back um, to where it was, I guess, headed. And I think that's important that you mention um, Moody saying that uh, our interest burden and our debt levels are higher than our pairs within this BA3 ranking. And so that's why we have that negative outlook. And so I anticipate that we are probably going to be downgraded further because we are such, because our levels of debt and interest is so high relative to the pairs. And I think that's. Um, that's that's going to be a really challenging position for us. Yeah, and I think that Moody's also mentioned that we are very heavily reliant on taxes that are basically 
tied to the economy. So you have um, the VAT tax, which is basically tied to economic activity. So our stream of revenues, our mainstream of revenue is heavily tied to economic activity. And I also noted with interest that Moody's mentioned that because of our high GDP per capita, which I think is um, inflated because of um, the foreign components, um, that we are able to sustain such debt. But I, for us, I really don't think that's the case. And the shell to your point about the GDP per capita, you know, Moody said that even though we have a high GDP per capita, it's not being reflected when we look at the unemployment rate, which is so high, particularly among um, the youth in the nation. And the the high GDP per capita hurts us as well in terms of getting concessionary financing from institutions abroad. So, um, you know, that's something we need to look at as we also look at tax reform and, and how we get a strong enough tax base from this high GDP that we're putting out there. It is said globally that the economic recovery is tied to the vaccination rate. How does the Bahamas stack up in relation to this belief? I do agree that um, the speed of this recovery will depend on, you know, vaccination status. Now, vaccination is not the end-all, be-all, but it does provide benefits. If we look at our neighbors to the north in the U.S., um, you know, you see them begin to resume large-scale activities. You know, people are at stadiums, at parks, and so the economy is really going while we're, you know, still generally trying to limit large gatherings because our uh, vaccination rate is so low. And I think that's important for us to get back um, key segments of the economy, such as group business. You know, I, I don't think um, companies are going to send their employees on rewarding vacations, you know, where you have two, three hundred persons coming here that are just spending money until, you know, one, they're pretty, vac- pretty much vaccinated as well as, you know, the risk of spread here is low. So I think we do need to, our economy being one that's dependent on tourism is dependent on vaccination being successful so that we can, you know, in simple terms, burst things back open. Yeah, I I agree. Um, The IMF had said um, in its most recent report that the pace of the recovery was tied to um, vaccination, but they also noted um, that it was going to be uneven because of access to vaccines um, by the smaller countries um, relative to the larger the developed nations. But um, thankfully, we got a gift um, from our neighbors to the north. So now... um, Bahamians have access to more vaccines and they also have a choice of which which vaccines to take. And so I think that since then, since we've got that donation, the numbers, the vaccination numbers have went up. And then also you see the Biden mandate for all travelers to the U.S., to be vaccinated. So I think that'll cause a further spike in the number of persons in the country that are fully vaccinated. And this should help with opening the economy. Um, I know that we have mandates. I don't know if they will be changed, but in terms of indoor dining, in terms of allowing people to participate in certain activities if you are fully vaccinated. And as well, globally, for us, especially for us on the cruise ships, um, most of the cruise ships 
require that their passengers over a certain age are fully vaccinated before they can come on the cruise. So if more persons are vaccinated globally, then you'll have more persons potentially booking cruises and those cruises coming to the Bahamas and then be earning um, taxes and stuff. And even though the cruise spend is relatively low, but we still, I think that it's a good thing. I think that it's a step in the right direction, but there's still going to be a long way to go. Um, our tourism numbers probably have a long way to go from they were pre-pandemic levels. Yeah, up to September 18th, I think we had about 73,000 persons who um, had been fully vaccinated. And I don't know how much of the persons that went away, Angelo, that has that ref is reflected in that number and about 20 plus thousand persons who had had one dose. And so when I look at it, we have a, a vaccination rate of about like 19, 20 um, percent. And um, if we are going to go to herd immunity, which is about 70 to 80 percent of your population, and I'm using a population size of about 400,000, that's like 300,000 to 320,000 persons to go in order to be um, vaccinated. Um, so I think we have, have some ways to go, but I think it's good that um, we have persons that seem to be interested um, in taking the vaccine. And so as we begin to increase our supply, which is difficult because like you mentioned, um, um, the, the IMF report is saying countries like emerging market countries and less developed countries like the Bahamas, um, they are downgrading their growth prospects because of limited supply of the vaccine as well as limited um, resources with which to stimulate um, um, the, the, our economies. And so we have some ways to go, but I think the good the good thing is that we are climbing up there uh, in terms of the rate of persons that that are um, that are vaccinated, which we need in order for for us to reduce the burden on the healthcare system because vaccination is supposed to um, reduce the, the the need for persons to be hospitalized or even possibly die from from this virus. So I think that's a good thing, and we are headed in the right direction. So the pandemic is obviously not over yet. In terms of our, our fiscal position, is the worst of the pandemic behind us? Um, I think we are definitely better off than we were 18 months ago, definitely better off than we were last year. But there are so many unknowns um, with the virus. I mean, we have um, the Delta variant, which has basically caused a spike in hospitalization. I think that's died down a bit now. But um, I think that the, the economic recovery will continue to be slow. We won't get back. I don't think we will get back. And I know that Moody's made mention of this. We won't get back to pre-COVID levels um, until probably 2024 or 2025. So we'll just have to see how this goes. And we'll have to carefully navigate our way um, through this to get back on the other side. I mean, I think, but for now, we have to come up with a plan on how we are going to deal with our debt burden and how we're going to manage the economy properly. Yeah, and I, I would add, unless there's some sort of full-scale lockdown again, which seems very unlikely, um, I think we've seen the worst of it, the lowest amount of revenue we'll ever take in, um, the largest deficit we'll ever see. Um, so, in, in terms of those things, I think we've seen the worst. We do have problems now in terms of funding the deficit that exists and going forward trying to close that deficit. But yeah, I, I think the worst is, is behind, hopefully. 
I, I, yeah, I, I mean, it's you like knock on wood, like you don't really want to say it because you just, I mean, the pandemic just sort of came out of nowhere and took everybody off guard. And I think that most people were probably thinking by, you know, last year, September, we would have been out of this. And here it is. We are 18 months later and we are still um, facing challenges. One of the challenges is the level of foreign currency earnings that we are able to get. And because we are not getting that level of foreign currency earnings. And we haven't really had for some time now, even prior to the pandemic, we have had to borrow. And so I don't see us ending the borrowing now. No, I mean, I don't think in terms of the borrowing, I think that we, and Moody's did mention this, that we will probably have for the past two years, our debt has gone up and up and up at to historic levels. And that trend will probably continue Unfortunately, um, unless something drastic happens, um, that trend will probably continue for the next um, few years. But I, I think that in terms of the economic recovery, we're starting to see some signs, but it's not going to be enough to get us out of the current debt burden. We need to, we need to, we need to have some serious, do some serious thinking on how we're going to plug this hole in our finances. Yeah, no, I don't think it's, I don't think it's behind us. I think we're going to have to borrow. Um, in order to to make up for the reserves that we would have lost um, from tourism, and as we increase, as we continue to borrow, if you look at Moody's report, you know all through the port report is high debt burden, high debt burden, and because we're not earning sufficient revenues, and because we don't have that economic activity that's going on with which to earn these revenues, with which to put people to work. I think we're going to have to resort to borrowing and the more borrowing means the more interest, the more risk. And so I don't think at this point um, we are behind the worst of, of the pandemic. I, I think there are some people that may think that it can get worse and I think it can get worse before it begins to get better. So since the initiation of Moody's debt review of the Bahamas, how many downgrades have we had? A lot. <laughs> <laughs> but if you look Back on history, um, it, it's been, you know, a downward spiral since the 2008 crisis. Um, you know, in 1997, we had a rating of about A3. In 2006, seems like we were, you know, upgraded to AA1. But since then, we've been, um, you know, just piece by piece um, falling behind. Um, and it, it's a trend that's been seen, I think, throughout the Caribbean as well, that you know, from time to time, you hear about this Caribbean debt crisis. So it's been, you know, I would say, what's this one? Maybe about six, seven times at minimum um, that we've been downgraded. Yeah. So um, I think we started off in 1997 with an investment grade rating of A3. And then in 2012, that was downgraded to B. AA1, and then we steadily went down every two years. Look, so at BA2, then BA3, and then last year, um, BA2, and now this year, um, BA3. And that's not just Moody's, that's also S&P. We've been seeing the same trend. Um, I think for a while, Moody's had us as investment grade, while S&P had us um, um, rated as junk. Um, but now they are, look, seem to be that they are on one accord as the country's fiscal um, position just continues to deteriorate. And it, the downward trend looks so neat. 
you know <laughs> yeah like a straight line it's just like a straight down, straight line down it reminds me of like a leaking faucet you know you 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 open the cupboard and you feel you see um under the faucet there's a damp wood the wood looks damp but you don't see the water leaking at the point at that point and you think to yourself oh i'll just leave it no big deal until and you continue to leave it until one day the pipe bursts and you have a major catastrophe on your hand and i think that's the situation with us and whenever they gave us a downgrade they always reference our increasing debt burden and i and i and i tied the downgrades in as well to our level of foreign currency um, borrowing. It's like when we started to increase foreign currency borrowing, it's when Moody's came in and they started to put this downgrade on us. And what is it telling me? When we were a fishing village back then, we were earning sufficient tourist, tourist dollars with which to support us, to pay for our imports and, and to support the, the minimal interest, um, foreign currency interest rate on the debt. But we have grown. I mean, we have the latest gadgets. And so the demand for imports have increased substantially. But, but we are still basically collecting round about the same amount that we've been doing back then. And so to fill in that gap with the foreign currency, we have had to borrow. So it just tells me that there's something about revenue generation that we have to fix in this country. Because if, and if we don't, we will continue to get the downgrade, we will continue to have to borrow and we will continue to find ourselves in this debt crisis. Yeah. And I think it's important to note that I think we mentioned it earlier, but our outlook is negative, which means that we can face another downgrade by as early as, as next year. Yeah. And it's negative on, for both um, ratings agencies. Um, so it's going to take a lot for us to um, get out of this, get out of the situation that we find ourselves in. But Moody's is saying they don't anticipate that it will improve within the next two years. And, when, and I think when you look at the fact that they're saying, even with our payers right now in this downgraded segment, our debt and interest burden is still higher than our payers. So that just means we're about to, <laughs> to get downgraded again <laughs> yeah. next year. The Bahamas' public debt ratio has consistently deteriorated over the years due to lackluster economic growth, stagnant revenue generation, out-of-control expenditure, and by extension, high interest costs. What can be done in the immediate to medium terms to reverse this trend and by extension, even improve the country's sovereign debt credit rating? Well, I know the, you know, austerity is, is a bad word. Um, but, fiscal but, consolidation. But yeah. I, <laughs> I think we need to hold spending in line, right? And and I say that to say that we've always said, you know, it's, it's okay to borrow now because we'll grow the economy and we'll grow out of this. And we've been saying that from 2000, probably 2010. And now we find ourselves at this point. And, and, you know, I liken it to a term, I, I don't know if it's an official term, but lifestyle inflation and that's, you know, you, you're living paycheck to paycheck and, you know, you get a raise and then you immediately increase your cost of living by purchasing something else. And we keep doing that. Every time we get more revenue, we drive up expenditure. And so we just find ourselves in an endless cycle of trying to match revenue to expenditure. We have events that happen that impact revenue, but expenditure just continues to grow up. And so I think no one has ever, you know, it, it's 
committed to, but no one ever follows through on saying, you know what, let, let's expenditure is something the government can relatively control, right? The revenue depends on the economy, but how much you spend can largely be up to you. And so I think we need to start looking at that side of the equation, get that in order while we try to fix some of the others. I 100% agree with Angelo. Um, I think that we have to cut back on the wasteful spending. We have to continue to reimagine how our public services are operating so that we can reduce, um, reduce costs. And we also have to come up with a plan on how we are going to alleviate this debt. Like Angelo said, we continue to kick the can down the road because we felt like, okay, we're going to get... The economy is going to grow, the economy is going to get stronger, and we're going to be able to afford to pay off this debt. But that that never happened. We've had lackluster growth for the past um, dozen years or so. And now we find ourselves in this situation where we just simply don't have the capacity to repay this debt burden that is about, what, 10, almost $10 billion. It's the mind is just, I don't know, it's going to be a, diff- a very, very difficult task. But I think that we can start small, we can start somewhere and show that we are serious about um, reducing this debt burden, um, cutting costs in the economy, enhancing revenue collections. There are many things that can be done and hopefully we can um, get on top of these things quickly because I'm afraid that we are out of time. I dare say we don't have the capacity reduce, to reduce spending. <laughs> yeah, I think that it's going to be difficult during this time because now you have the pandemic where you have to do um, social support. But I think that there are still some areas where we can we can look at if we take a serious look at it and we can look um, to reduce spending, even if we save just maybe a few million dollars a year is something we have to start somewhere. I don't think we should just throw our hands up in the air and just go and la la la. And this is what we've always done. So we'll continue to do this until somebody comes in on a white horse and save us, saves us. It's it's not going to happen. So I think we have to get serious about it. You know, I agree. I just do think it's in the capacity of our leaders to do so. Yeah, because the, the, the political will is, yeah, is, is not there. So, right? no, yeah. we, we just came out of an, an election and there were promises made. I mean, the, I think it was said that about 1,200 persons were made p- permanent in, in, um, in Abaco and Grand Bahama. And that's on the government's payroll. And so it's going to take tax dollars to pay those persons. Um, so I, I just don't think we have the... I don't think they have the will and, by extension, the capacity to reduce spending um, until they are, they, are, they are forced to. Moody's is saying that we can reverse this, which they don't think we will be able to do in the next couple of years, but we can reverse this if, we, if, we, uh, if our debt levels were to, to, to trajectory of our debt levels were to um, be reduced and also our revenues were to increase. And so that's a part of the fiscal consolidation um, program. If we can get to a position where we are spending less than what we take in, then our deficit will be less. And also if we are able to grow the economy significantly, then our GDP will grow and then our debt to GDP ratios will be a bit um, um, lower. So they have told us what we need to do. And so I think the, the, the calculation or the formula is simple, but it's complex to arrive at 
the desired um, goal of reducing our indebtedness. And I think that's that's our challenge. Yeah, like because like Angelo said, it's all about, you know, the lifestyle. You can you now making enough money to afford a Lamborghini so you trade in your Lexus even though there was nothing wrong with it and I think that that has been our problem our problem over the years even in good times we don't prepare for times like these we don't save money we don't prepare for the bad times we just increase our spending and there is no sort of plan um, on how to reduce the debt that is tied to economic growth so technically I mean we had to borrow the money um we went through um dorian which was terrible and then we just had the pandemic and we had to um we found ourselves in a situation where we had to go to the international markets and borrow money but now we are here now so it's like what are we gonna do we have to do something um we can't we can't kick the can down the road any longer and i think a lot of that has to do too lachelle with investments we need investments with which to employ persons you know, I, I, I know the, the, the new Minister of Social Services is saying that he wants to eradicate poverty. Well, one way to eradicate poverty is to get people working in good paying, sustainable jobs. And until we get to see that level of economic activity where people are being hired, then I think it will, the, 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 the strain on the government process will continue because people would need help from the government. But to that, you know, that requires the government to kind of get out the way. And, and as this debt grows and the government keeps looking for ways to fund this, you know, they're going to start taxing business to productive sectors, you know, which is only going to further hurt that. So it's important for the government to get itself together so that the government isn't a burden to, you know, what we need to drive, like you said, investment activity where persons can get um, stable jobs, incomes that can provide them and like you say, eliminate poverty. So some have questioned why we should be concerned with what Moody's say about the Bahamas sovereign debt. Should we care? Is it a big deal? We should absolutely care. <laughs> Basically, our rating agencies are usually hired by companies or countries such as the Bahamas to review their debt, to give an independent review of their economies. So in order for the Bahamas to successfully borrow funds in the international market, they would want to have a credit rating by one of the reputable international credit rating agencies. And for us, we have Moody's and an S&P. So it's sort of if you want to go out for the country like the Bahamas, which is a developing small island nation, and we rely on foreign currency to fund our imports, et cetera, we need to go into the international market and borrow money. So when investors come and look at that, they want to know, well, what is the status of this economy? And Moody's and other credit ratings agencies give a independent review of a person's economy that can allow investors basically to rate um, how this debt stacks up against other countries and other um, companies. Yeah, so like you said, it, it ties into the fact that you need to go to the foreign market um, to borrow money. You know, sometimes you, you go on Facebook or Twitter and you see comments and people say, the hell with Moody's, right? And it's like, okay, it, as long as you're not going out there to try and borrow money, then to hell with them. But we've had to have, we've had to borrow money. Um, we need to borrow money today and we'll probably need to borrow money in the future. And so, you know, it sounds good to say we can ignore them, but 
there's a reason they're there and unless we're going to really drastically cut back and, and cut back on the amount of borrowing that we're doing they're going to be an important part of the economic you know environment yeah, i think a lot of persons say that because in of the great recession of 2008 they gave investment grade ratings to a lot of um, instruments particularly mortgage-backed securities that really were very risky and should have been um, in junk status and so people say you know moody's um, has lost its its credibility but to what you said as long as we have to go into the international market and borrow money, foreign currency debt, then we need Moody's. And actually, Moody's didn't come knocking on our doors. We asked them to come and assess us because we are going out there to investors and investors need to look at our financial position to determine if they want to invest in our debt uh, securities and by how much interest they also and want to pay in order to um, invest in our debt security. So we definitely do need Moody's and we definitely value what they have to say. And as well, you know, there are some institutional investors in the international market. They don't invest in below investment grade securities. And so we, as we continue to be downgraded, then we are closing off a segment of investors that would probably have been interested investing in our debt, but can't because whatever mandate that they have has advised them not to invest in non-investment grade securities. And I think a perfect example of this was NAD. A few years back, NAD was looking to, you know, have its rating reviewed and they were trying to get a separate rating from the government because, you know, what they did not want to happen was for NAD itself to become a junk issuer. And then a lot of the insurance companies or private investors that would have invested in NAD would have had to sell their bonds to them. And so, you know, they're complications and consequences of falling into these categories and you know it's felt in the real world although we don't see it on you know as everyday people so we do need to care what moody's has to say well thank you Michelle and angelo for a wonderful discussion and thank you audience for listening if you want to contact us please do so via our website at www.cfile.com until next time mm-hmm.